0: Welcome back to Top of the Past, the podcast where we travel back in time to review game music and film charts across three decades. This episode we'll visiting April 1983, April 1993 and April 2003. I'm your time pilot, Gordon Sinclair, and with me in the Top of the Past part our regular time travellers, Matt Corn.
1: Hello.
0: Simon Burton. Good evening. And after an absence from our podcast of almost a year, we welcome back our good friend, Graham Mason.
2: Hi guys, thanks for having me back.
0: So let's fire up the time machine and head off on our first expedition back to 1983. in the wonderful world of 1983. My 10-year-old self is too young to worry about Maggie's millions in the doll queue, so he's no doubt outside playing football or fruitlessly trying to land a 737 in a graphicless and soundless flight simulator on his ZX81 computer. In the news, Boxhall has just launched its Nova Super Mini. Its launch is expected to result in the end of the production of the Vauxhall Chevette. On the 4th of April, the biggest cash robbery in British history sees gunmen escape with £7 million from a Security Express van in London. April 83 was also Oscars month, and the big winner was Richard Attenborough's film Gandhi, which took eight Academy Awards. And on the 21st of April, our pockets got quite a bit heavier as the £1 coin is introduced in England and Wales. On the TV, we got our last ever episode of ITV Playhouse, and the first ever episode of Philip Marlowe Private Eye and Flora Heard's Salvation Army sitcom, Hallelujah. And in sport, April ends with Liverpool already confirmed as the champions for the 14th time following Manchester United's draw at Norwich City. Any particular memories of 1983 from
3: you guys? The release of Return of the Jedi, probably. I was only seven, so my whole world was pretty much Star Wars at that point.
0: That's a bit later on in the year.
4: Isn't
3: I don't it? know. <laughs> I was only six in April 1983.
4: Simon, any thoughts? I remember it was quite a warm summer I remember we had quite a lot of snow at the start of the year I we coming out of school and it was up to your waist across over in the park opposite, which was quite fun I used to spend some time where I lived at Sidcup in a place called Silica Shop which was the place that sold all the Atari stuff and Commodore and all the kind of games consoles for the first five years of the 80s I used to literally spend every time off school in there
2: How about you, Graham? Yeah, 1983, I was 10 years old. It was quite a time of change for me because I was about to go from junior school to senior school, but that was obviously a big change. And also at the same time, my parents decided to move house as well. So quite a lot going on.
0: Okay, so it sounds like 83 was an interesting time for all of us, but we're here for the charts. So let's start off with the singles charts. And at At 10, we had Breakaway by Tracy Ullman. At number 9, we are Detective from the Thompson Twins. At number 8 was True Love Wave by Cliff Richards and the London Philharmonic Orchestra. At 7, Eurythmics with Love is a Stranger, David Bowie's Let's Dance at number 6. At number 5 was Church of the Poison Mind from Culture Club. At 4, Keep Feeling Fascination from the Human League. Michael Jackson at 3 with Beat It. Number 2 was FR David and Words and number one at the end of April in 1983 was Tree from Spandau Valley. So, what we do with the singles charts is we all just pick one song that's our pick out of that top 10. So, let's start with you, Simon. Quite
4: a strong chart for me, but the one I'll pick out of that is Beat It by Michael Jackson. my favourite Michael Jackson song, I like the beat I love the Van Halen guitar solo in the middle the video was pretty cool, it's just a cracking
0: tune. Yeah, it is one of O's best I'm a fan of that one myself. Graham?
2: I'm a real big fan of the Human League so I'm going to go with Keep Feeling Fascination. And so the
5: conversation turned Until the sun went down And many fantasies were learned On that
2: Which is quite an odd song, actually, because it's got a really weird chorus to it and it sounds slightly out of tune, but I think it's got a really good hook to it, a really good tune, and I've loved it ever since the 80s.
3: I'm
0: also a big fan of that one. Matt, what about you?
3: I'm going to go for the same one as Cy, Beat It by Michael Jackson, I think. Despite what happened later in his career, the early to mid-80s were brilliant for Michael Jackson, and that's definitely one of his best songs, I think.
0: And for me, I've gone for the Thompson Twins, We Are Detective.
3: We Are Detective
0: I think it was around the early 80s that I started getting into the quirkier kind of music and not the massive mainstream hits. And I think bands like the Thompson Twins were the people who put that in my head. And we are detected that it's a fun 80s song and it wouldn't fit anywhere else other than the early 80s.
4: Yeah, I like the Thompson Twins. I've got to say I'm big fans of theirs. Not particularly fan of that track. You Take Me Up is my favourite of theirs. But yeah, they're still not bad. Still
0: quite catchy. OK, so let's move on to the album charts then. And here we've got at number 10, "Tis for Fears with The Hurting. Toto 4 by Toto at number 9. At number 8, Cargo by Men at Work. Number 7 was The Final Cut from Pink Floyd. Number 6, The Arisnix with Sweet Dreams Are Made of This. White Feathers from Catchy at 5. Faster Than the Speed of Night by Bonnie Tyler was at four, True from Spandau Bally at three, Michael Jackson's Thriller was at number two, and the number one album at the end of April 1983 was Let's Dance by David
5: Bowie. Put on your red shoes and dance the blues. Let's dance to the songs.
0: So what we usually do here is we talk about how many of these we've heard in full. Let's start with Graham. What memories have you got of these albums?
2: Some pretty good memories, actually. I've listened to half of them. Obviously, the top two albums, Let's Dance and Thriller, are pretty big albums. I remember having them at the time, and I've listened to both of those albums again recently. I think Thriller still stands up amazingly well today. But Let's Dance by David Bowie. I thought this was the beginning of a period where he wasn't quite so critically acclaimed. But looking back and researching it a little bit, this album is still quite well-received. But it's only got eight tracks, and there are filler tracks on it, really. So looking back on it now, time hasn't been kind to it. So yeah, they're probably my two favourites out of that. Although, The Hurting by Tears for Fears, I really like that album as well. I remember listening to that a lot back in the day. My favourite track is actually the title track, although obviously Pale Shell, is a really strong song as well I listened to that one quite a lot back in the day, and I think that has aged a little bit better.
0: That Tears for Fears album, which is an absolutely amazing album. I actually thought The Hurt Team was one of the weakest tracks on there. I personally thought Pale Shelter was by far the best track on there. I absolutely love that one.
4: They also had Change on there. That came out at some point as well, as far as I remember, because it was definitely one of the greatest hits. Something yeah. I
2: realised about the album Let's Dance by David Bowie as well, I was listening to it and it got to track eight and it finished, and I was like, uh, is that it? You know, in the 80s, we'd buy CDs, well, some of us would, and they'd have eight tracks on them and they cost like 15 quid or something. <laughs> you know, just the, the value for money we were getting back
0: then. Yeah, a lot of albums were only 35 minutes long or something like that. I mean, they had to fit on a vinyl, most of them, but yeah, eight tracks is particularly low. In terms of the albums I've listened to in full, I mean, I've obviously heard a lot of the tracks from Spandau Ballet and Eurythmics, probably from the Kajagoogoo and Bonnie Tyler albums as well, but the only ones I've heard in full are Devil about his Let's Dance, that I think is one of his weakest albums. I know commercially it was another one of his big comebacks when he came back as a commercial artist instead of, you know, this underground rock star. He was actually doing the really mainstream songs, and I wasn't a fan of that album or virtually any of the singles that came from it. Thriller from Michael Jackson, love the album, just wish Thriller wasn't on it because it ruins the flow of the whole album. The album's really strong without that as a gimmick track. So I wish it hadn't have been included, but then you'd have to change the name and it wouldn't have had the popularity. The only other album I've heard on there then is The Hurting, so it's just those three albums for me. How about you, Matt?
3: There's actually only one album that I own and I've ever listened to in full, and surprise, surprise, it's Thriller. It's
5: to midnight, something evil's in the dark.
3: I don't really have a great deal more to say about it than you guys have already. I do like Thriller, but more for the video. I mean, that's probably the first thing I saw of Michael Jackson as a seven or eight year old. It's either that or the Billie Jean one where he's doing the moonwalk and the floor tiles light up. I was only six at this point, remember, so buying albums. I was perhaps a little bit too young for that at the time.
0: It was really interesting, that video to Thriller, because it was a huge event, wasn't it? You might have been a bit too young, Matt, but I remember, I think it was 10 o'clock at night, the first showing on Channel 4, they had to put it on After the Watershed. And it's not scary in any way, you know, it's comedy zombies dancing. Everyone was talking about it in school and then stayed up late to watch it. And it was a massive occasion. And it was, what is it, something like seven or eight minutes long. But we had been talking about it for two weeks before just to watch this seven minute song. I remember that really fondly.
4: Simon, what about you? Quite a few albums for me on here. Thriller, as big as it was, I never really got into it. I like Beat It and I like the song Thriller and Billy Jean but I never really got it. I didn't really get into my Jackson until Bad came out which was 86, 87 I think. But I do have a copy of Thriller and I have listened to it but True was one I listened to a lot did like a bit of Spandau at the time The Hurting for me was my favourite on the list here it's just one of the really strong album. Fears was just big at the time. Power Shout was easy, excellent but Mad World is absolutely amazing song and that's just far and away the best song on it for me. Toto, that's a cracking album and it's got the two big ones on it, Africa and Rosanna. men of works honestly i've got that years and years ago and obviously it's down under is their main track but there's some cracking tunes on that album but i really like it i do listen to it occasionally
0: okay well let's just do a recap then of how many everybody has listened to and remember you have to have heard the album in full and not just listen to the singles so i will claim three let's dance thriller and the hurting matt i think you were one indeed Graham?
2: I've got Let's Dance, Thriller, Sweet Dreams are Made of This, The Hurting and True by Spandau Ballet, so a total of five.
4: And Simon? One comes out of six, because that's The Hurting, Toto, Cargo, True,
0: Thriller and Casual Goo Goo, because I have got that. Okay, so Simon takes the music round let's move on then to the film charts and the earlier film charts are based on the u.s box office because we can't find a source for uk box office back in the 80s so notable films for april 1983
1: were
0: 48 hours the eddie murphy and nick nolte cop comedy sophie's choice starring meryl street we had bad boys which wasn't the Will Smith film. This was the 1983 Borstel drama starring Sean Penn. Then we had High Road to China, which was a Tom Selleck aviation romance set in the 1920s. E.T., which had been on the charts for an amazing 46 weeks at that point, almost a year in the box office charts. Then we had The Outsiders, which was a Francis Ford Coppola ensemble of up-and-coming young actors. And it's quite amazing the list of actors that were in it. You've got Rob Lowe, Matt Dillon, Tom Cruise, Emilio Estevez, there's Patrick Swayze and four or five more who all went on to big things so that's a film I've not seen but it was quite interesting Monty Python's sketch comedy The Meaning of Life we had Gandhi that I've already said won many Oscars directed by Richard Attenborough and starring Ben Kingsley we had Tootsie, the Dustin Hoffman comedy where a struggling actor decides to dress a puzzle woman to get some more success and at number one was Jennifer Beals as an 18 year old welder who dreams of becoming a professional dancer it was the first film from producing Duo Bruckheimer and Simpson,
5: Flash Dance. You walk out there and the music starts and you feel it. Your body just moves. It's a world of music. It's a world of magic. It's a world of love. It's a world of laughter. It's a world of desires. It's a world of dreams. It's the world of the Flash Dance. It's as far as you can go. Flash Dance.
0: How does that chart sit with you?
3: There's some good stuff on there. I like 48 Hours. I haven't seen it for a long time, but it's one of the earliest sort of buddy cop type films, although technically it's a cop and a convict who's let out for 48 hours to help solve a crime. E.T. obviously is a classic, again another film that I don't watch very often but it is a great film. The Outsiders I've seen and it's one of those kind of coming of age dramas but like you say the list of people that's in it is quite astonishing. I suppose it was pre-Brat Pack but most of those went on to be part of that Brat Pack that came along in the later 80s and you've got Tom Cruise and people like that in it as well. Tootsie is Dustin Hoffman in drag and I've never seen Flashdance so yeah there's some good stuff on there
4: yeah there are strong films there but I'm going to be as my usual from this time I've not seen hardly any of them to be honest 48 hours I watched it at Christmas like it always liked it great film really enjoy it and E.T. A child's
5: joy a mother's love a friend's devotion in this season of peace share the magic with your family Steven Spielberg's E.T., the extraterrestrial, from Universal Pictures,
4: rated PG. That's E.T., you know, everyone sort of has a soft spot for E.T., and that's it. I don't know half the others, and the others that I do know I've not seen.
2: I agree. It's quite a strong chart, I think. A lot of the films I saw when I was younger, such as Tootsie and Gandhi, because this would have been back in the days when, when these films appeared on TV. They were quite big events, and the whole family would watch them. High Road to China is an interesting one. I've been meaning to watch this one for a few years. It came out after, obviously, Raiders of the Lost Ark and was accused at the time of trying to take advantage of Raiders' success. In fact, it had been in development for a while. It's based on a book by someone called John Cleary, and I think like a lot of book adaptations, it doesn't really take too much from the book, other than the fact that there is a long aeroplane journey, obviously, to China in it. It stars Tom Selick in his first big cinematic role. He was rumoured to have been given this role because he failed the audition for Raise the Lost Ark. Whether that's actually true or not is another matter, but Tom Selleck is in it and it's got a lady called Bess Armstrong in it who'd done a lot of TV and appeared in Jaws 3D in the same year. It also stars Wolf Carla, going back to the razor the Lost Ark connection. He played Dietrich in Raise the Lost Ark, famous German actor and Brian Blessed, rather embarrassingly made up to look like an Afghan chieftain and sounding exactly like Brian Blessed as well. It's a really odd film. It's basically trying to be a bit like these comedies from the 30s and 40s where it's sort of a love-hate relationship between the two leads and it's quite enjoyable in a way but it's obviously nothing on Raid of the Lost Ark and it's nice to see Tom Selleck in an early role so yeah I quite enjoyed High Road to China and also another one of my favorites there is 48 Hours which of course is a great buddy buddy action comedy Nick Nolte is a cop
5: you're still a lowlife Eddie Murphy is a con yeah but I look good they're here just in time for the holidays in 48 hours, That'd be Cool, rated R.
0: Well, as everybody else has said, the chart is really strong, I think. The films that I haven't seen are films that I want to see. Other than Sophie's Choice, which I don't really know anything about, I don't think there's any film on there that I either haven't seen or don't want to. So, you know, 9 out of 10 is a hell of a chart there. I have seen at least half of the films on there. And the ones that I pick out are obviously E.T. Like Simon said, it's E.T. But I remember watching that Christmas 1982 in primary school on pirate video, which you could hardly see because the quality was absolutely terrible. One of the teachers had got it from some market stall, I assume. But it terrified me. And the fact that you could hardly see what was going on because of the poor quality video just made it even more scary. And it certainly is not a kid's film. It bloody terrified me.
3: My experience of watching E.T. is very similar to yours. We had a copy of it on Pirate Video with the first minute or two missing because someone was setting the camera up in the cinema and all that malarkey. And my experiences are quite similar. Certainly, it's a film that never made me tear up when I was a kid. I've only watched it since and teared up at the bits that make you tear up back then. Certainly the bit where all the guys in the radiation suits come along and like wrap his house up in plastic and have got all those tubes and things like that and they're all running around and E.T.'s dying and all that kind of stuff. That was certainly quite scary at the time.
4: Yeah, I saw it on pirate video as well, my first time. My mate's dad used to get these things, I think even almost before they came out. It was all wavy lines and stuff, but it was
0: watchable, and yeah, we enjoyed it. Yeah, I think back then, the films were released in America first, weren't they? So yeah. it possible to get a pirate well before it was released over here. The other films that I think are brilliant on there, Tootsie's a great film. I think it probably is of its time, and I'm not sure I'd want to watch it again, but it was brilliant in the 80s. At 48 Hours, though, it's a great comedy, that, isn't it? Really enjoy that, and I believe they're making a remake of it right now. And it's been made by Ben and Josh Safty, who recently did a fantastic thriller called Good Time, starring Robert Pattinson. And if none of you have seen that, you should do. It's a brilliant film with a fantastic electronic score, And they're doing the remake of 48 Hours. I don't think they've announced any of the actors that are going to be it. But if them two are directing, I'm really hopeful that that's going to be a good film. Okay, so let's just whiz around and see how many of these films everybody's watched. I've seen five of the films, Flashdance, Tootsie, Meaning of Life, E.T. and 48 Hours. I can't believe I've not seen Gandhi. I really should correct that at some point. But everything other than Sophie's Choice that I haven't seen, I'll certainly be checking out. So, Matthew?
3: I have seen also five, I think, 48 Hours, E.T., Outsiders, Gandhi and Tootsie.
0: Okay, what about you,
4: Simon? Two for me, 48 Hours and E.T., okay graham
0: seven
2: wow seen flesh dance tootsie gandhi monty python's meaning of life et high road to china and 48 hours well that's a clear victory there for graham in the
0: film round so now we move on to the video games. Now, because this is 1983, there's not a great deal of consoles or computers available at that time, or certainly not ones that had charts tracked for them. So for this show, we've gone for the Atari VCS 2600.
5: The fun is ba- Oh yes, siree! It's the 2600 from Atari. It's the video system with classics galore, from Space Invaders to cars that roar. A real hip joystick controls the screen. Solaris is hot and Midnight Magic's mean. And one more thing, it's got a special low price. Now isn't that nice? The fun is back. Oh yes, siree! It's the 2600 from Atari.
0: At number ten, we've got Pitfall. Number nine, Berserk. Empire Strikes Back is at eight, at seven is Star Raiders, six is Demon Attack, number five is Frogger, Star Master is at number four, Space Invaders at three, number two is Defender, and the number one game is Pac-Man. Simon, I know you're a big fan of the Atari VCS, so what do you think of that chart? Some good
4: games in there. Obviously, this Pitfall is always a popular game from Activision. Empire Strikes Back again, a very good blaster. It's very similar to the Intellivision version, but I actually think I slightly prefer the graphics of the Intellivision, but it's still a very fast scrolling shooter. Star Raiders, that was a game from the late 70s on the Atari 400 computers, and this version isn't bad, graphically, only a little bit blocky, and it came with a weird thing, which is had this keypad controller, so you can do the star chart and different views from the ship, and it was the only game that ever used that like, peripheral, so you had keyboard controllers, different ones on the VCS, but this was a separate little keypad with a cardboard thing you put over the top to tell you what keys did what. Demon Attackless is a stronger magic game as a shooting game. Star Master was, again, another shooter, a bit like Star Raiders, to be honest, from Activision. And the top three are quite interesting. Space Invaders came out in 81, so it was already two years old now, and to see it in still at number three was pretty impressive. It was the killer app for the 2600 when it first came out. Not a bad version of Defender. I actually quite like it. It makes Defender playing a little bit easier than the arcade machine, which is quite tricky with the buttons. Pac Man was the one that was only been really recently released at that point. Not a great version, but it's Pac Man, and people still bought it in bucket loads because of what it is. So, yeah, a strong Atari chart there.
3: I mean obviously Pac-Man was going to go to number one because everyone bought it without knowing what it was like and it's renowned for being one of the games that triggered the big video game crash in America in particular so it's a bit surprising to see it at number one but then maybe it isn't but isn't it true that they made more copies of the game than there were consoles available? Is that an urban myth or is that true? That was
0: E.T. wasn't
3: it? I thought it was Pac-Man and possibly E.T. as well
0: It was E.T. because they made about a million copies of the game more than they had consoles sold I think Pac-Man there were more
4: made than there were machines. I'm pretty sure it was the two of them together were the ones that seemed to cause the most issues.
0: For me, it is a strong chart in terms of the names of the games, but quality-wise some of those arcade conversions are really dreadful. Pac-Man, Space Invaders, Frogger, they were all terrible, terrible conversions. I mean, Space Invaders in particular was just dreadful.
4: Oh, I couldn't agree less, I think that Space Invaders is <laughs> excellent, game. really good, 127 variations, even much variations that weren't even on the yeah. arcade machine <laughs> now as a two player game for the Atari for what the Atari was, it's a really good game. I think game. Maybe,
0: maybe I'm limited because I didn't play it back in the day, so now I compare it to games like Galaxian and things like that, which were far in a way, much much better a conversion than Space Invaders was, but yeah I think it's absolutely no fun to play now but then again, the arcade version. Version of Space Embedders is absolutely no fun to play either now.
3: Very true. From my point
2: of view, I played a lot of these games on the Intellivision because that's the console I had then. The Intellivision had a really strong conversion of Frogger. I've never played the Atari version, but I'd be interested to know how the two compare, Simon.
4: It was a very good version of the Intellivision, actually. It was a lot closer to the arcade machine. I think the Intellivision used a bit more of its power for that one. Can't really compare them, to be honest.
2: And the other one that made me smile as well was the game at number four, Star Master, which I originally misread as Stairmaster, and I thought maybe (laughs) it was some sort of simulation to help old people get upstairs or something.
4: (laughs) yeah it's just similar to star raiders it's a sort of similar sort of game
3: yeah i think it's activision's version of star raiders really it. i think they obviously did a lot of good original games but they did also do a bunch of games that were quite clearly just competing with the atari games like they did robot tank didn't they which is basically the same as battle zone pretty much mega mania that's basically a space invaders kind of game isn't it
5: activision Bringing you the most creative and original home video games with extraordinary graphics, exciting sound, and incredibly realistic action. Just what you've come to expect from Activision. Here's why. What I really try to do in my video games is to bring the player onto the screen, to put
0: him into the game, to have him experience the thrill of the sport or the challenge. Make them feel like they're part of the game, that they're in the game. Okay, so let's see how many we've played. I think this is probably going to go Simon's way again. But I can tell you that I've played Pac-Man, Defender, Space Invaders, Frogger, Empire Strikes Back, Berserk and Pitfall. So that's seven of those ten games. I'm hoping that's going to fare quite strongly. Graham, how many have you played?
2: Well, I've actually played quite a few of them. I've played Pac-Man and Defender, Demon Attack, Empire Strikes Back, Berserk and Pitfall. So that's six, I think.
3: Matt? Six for me. I haven't played Berserk Star Raiders, Star Master or Frogger on the VCS. I would like to mention Empire Strikes Back, though. First Star Wars video game, I believe, predating the Vector Graphics Atari arcade game by a few months. Oh. And it's all right, isn't it? It kind of recreates that scene from the beginning of Empire Strikes Back with the Snowspeeders on Hoth fighting the at The at camels look ace. Yeah, well obviously it did inspire Attack of the Mutant Camels or whatever it was called by Jeff Minter, but it is a bit of a boring game, it's just scroll one direction, shoot the crap out of an ATAT or luckily hit the sweet spot on kill it quickly and then move on to the next one, it's a pretty boring game really. The real standout oh. on there is Pitfall. I think.
5: Just last night, I was lost in the jungle with Pitfall Harry, surrounded by giant scorpions and man-eating crocodiles. will Harry and I just grabbed the van, swung through the trees and over the tar pits and found the jungle treasure. It was really neat. If you haven't met Pitfall Harry, you're missing the year's most incredible video game adventure, Pitfall for the Atari 2600 and in television. Since I met Pitfall Harry no other man will do pitfall designed by david crane for activision
3: that was really activision taking the atari almost to its limits
0: yeah i think that's quite right i mean the story of activision breaking away from atari and inventing third-party games with the quality that they were putting into their games was fantastic so i think for video game history Pitfall's brilliant anyway but it's actually a great game simon what was out of our misery how many of those have you played 10. That's our first ever 10 out of 10. So Simon takes the video game round. So that means that, Simon, with the music and the games, you win 1983. So what item from 1983 are you going to bring back to the present day? Well, in the year that
4: the Apple Lisa came out and we had the Philips Video Back Plus and things like the Rented the G Shop but there was so many different things came out. Do you know one thing I just still like to this day that I'm going to bring back with me? It sounds a bit weird when you can still get them today, but I just don't know if they're slightly different. But I'm gonna bring back the chicken McNugget.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic
3: <laughs> yeah absolutely i bet they were much better in 1983 than they are now as well i bet they were bigger and more realistic mm. chicken than they are now
0: well i've got to say that you've completely uh thrown me on that one i didn't expect you to be bringing back a mcdonald's with you from 1983 but you know if you're peckish that's fair enough
3: so they originated in 83 did they the chicken McNuggets? that's
0: when they first came out yeah all right okay okay so we've exhausted our time in 1983 it's time to recalibrate and head off to 1993. on 1993 is a very different world. John Major has replaced Maggie at number 10, and a 20-year-old Gordon is now working as a photographic lab technician for not much more than the minimum wage. In the news, almost 10 years to the day since launching the Nova, Vauxhall launches its all-new super mini, the Corsa, as a replacement for the Nova. And despite being the wealthiest woman in the world, the Queen announces that the public will be allowed inside Buckingham Palace for the first time in the summer for an adult entrance fee of eight pounds. Much of the palace, including the Queen's private apartments, will remain closed, and the Queen herself won't be home at the time when people are visiting, but it's hoped that the profits will pay for 70% of the £40 million cost of restoring Windsor Castle, which was damaged by fire in November. In TV news, the BBC have just received a makeover with an almost entirely computer-generated studio, and Going Live airs its 179th and last episode of the Saturday Morning Kids magazine show. In sport, after 30 of the 39 runners began the race and carry on despite a false start being declared, the Grand National has to be cancelled and England draw 2-2 with Holland at Wembley in their World Cup qualifier and will eventually fail to qualify for the USA World Cup, finishing two points behind the Dutch. And former Charlton Athletic defender Tommy Caton dies at his home in Oxfordshire at the age of just 30 after suffering a heart attack only weeks after retiring from the game due to ill health.
4: 1993 then it's a year that I have a lot of memories of I got married in 93 for a start and funny enough about Tommy Caton I actually met him not long, long before all that as well he'd seen the Charlton game at Aston Villa we were at Birmingham New Street waiting to get a train back to London and he just came along we was like oh hi Tommy and he just had a chat with us he was a lovely guy so that was a sad thing But yeah, 93 was just getting used to married life, to be honest. New house and all the rest of it, and just getting on with that. And then hiring a a brand new
2: Vauxhall Corsa, a purple one, to drive to Cornwall in on our honeymoon. That was fun. (laughs) I was 20 in 1993. I'd started work a year or so earlier. And for me then, what it was all about was video games, because... Having started work and suddenly having disposable income, I disposed of it quite a lot on video games. And I remember buying a Mega Drive and then just thinking nothing of dropping 40, 45 quid on these games, which seems a lot of money even today.
4: Yeah, I had a Mega Drive. I got it a year before, but that was still going strong in those days.
3: I think we had our first PC at that point, in about 93, that sounds about the right time, which was a 386 and I was playing great games like Captain Comic and Commander Keen on it all the shareware games, and I was pretty strongly into metal music by that point 93 was the year I went to see Metallica at Milton Keen's Bowl, my hair was growing to sort of below shoulder length at that point, and I also went skiing I was in sixth form, but I went skiing on a school organised trip, and it's the only time I've ever skied on snow in fact, it's the last time I ever skied so I'd learnt to ski on a dry slope went skiing with school I would say it was probably February or March of 93 and I had never skied since don't know why
0: (laughs) Okay, let's have a look at the music charts for 1993 At number 10, Show Me Love from Robin S Number 9 was Everybody Hurts by R.E.M At 8, Regret from New Order Sybil at 7 with When I'm Good and Ready capellas you got to know at number six informer from snow at five ain't no love ain't no use from sub sub featuring melanie williams that was at four at three was i have nothing from whitney houston the bluebells were at two with young at heart and number one was the five live EP from george michael and queen with lisa stansfield
5: i work on, it was every day of my life i work to lie.
0: You've all got one pick from this chart. Graham, what's your choice?
2: Well, like Whitney Houston, I don't have much on this one. (laughs) I would say it would have to be Everybody Hurts by R.E.M., but that's kind of a default choice, really. I have heard of some of the other songs, but I remember having that one on the CD single back in the day, and although it's dreadfully depressing, I remember remember listening to it quite a lot, but it's only because I just either haven't heard of the rest of them or don't like them.
4: Yeah, not a lot there for me. Everybody Hurts, yeah, I like that, but I'm not going to choose that one. I'm going to choose Regret by New Order. (laughs) still quite like the order in those days but yeah not a lot i know there young at heart obviously i remember i'm not, not a big fan of it but it's one that stands out but apart from that pretty much don't know
0: much else in the chart i'm afraid
3: that's a reissue though isn't it younger heart that was an 80s song originally was it
0: yeah mm. this was the 1993 remix oh right okay for me i've also gone for everybody
5: hurts
0: I think I was in my depressed state at that point <laughs> in terms of music you know heavily listening to The Cure and The Smiths and people like that and that song came out and it was just perfect for the time so it's not a default choice for me it's definitely the one that I chose off there even though I would say I'm a much bigger fan of New Order than I am of R.E.M. Everybody Hurt's definitely the track for me on there.
2: This was definitely the era where words got replaced by their phonetic letters didn't they? <laughs> it so looks like you, it doesn't it? You had you you know got to know all the numbers as well I definitely remember there being a lot of names of bands and that and names of songs that were like that back then
0: yeah i think prince was primarily to blame for a lot of that
3: well everybody hurts i always think everybody hurts because they're slashing the wrists while they're listening (laughs) to that song i hate that song with a passion i don't mind rem generally but that song is absolutely awful as is virtually everything on this chart the one i'm going to pick and it's purely for comedy value is informer by snow because (laughs) of those brilliant lyrics informer (laughs) i
5: say that am a down
3: and that's exactly why that is the best song on that chart the thing is I think he was just some like middle class white guy so he's singing about all this gangster stuff and it it just wasn't hidden. Informer, you know, say daddy me, snow me, I got blame, a licky boom boom down. Like they weren't like that
2: though, weren't they? It was all like record producers making all this sort of music, weren't they? No one that was street or anything like that, was it? It was just producers making all this music and just selling it by the bucket loads.
3: Yeah. His real name, Snow, he was Canadian. His real name was Darren Kenneth O'Brien.
0: Do you think he always referred to himself as Darren Kenneth? Do you think he always <laughs> put that in there. Yeah on that note let's move on to the album shots. so at uh, number ten was Suede with Suede number nine was three years five months and two days in the life of Arrested Development by obviously Arrested Development David Bowie was back at number eight with Black Pie White Noise David Essex was at seven with Cover Shot. Dina Carroll's So Close at number six Duran Duran's The Wedding Album at five number four was Ten Summoner's Tales from Sting Three Automatic for the People from REM, Aerosmith for a two with Get a Grip, and number one, everybody's favourite, Cliff Richard with the album.
2: Straight in at number one for Cliff.
3: It's embarrassing to think that that was still possible in the mid-90s, wasn't it? That Cliff Richard could just go straight in at number one.
0: Beating Aerosmith, who were also new that week.
3: That's true. I'm devastated by that now, I've noticed. The interesting thing I would say about this
2: was David Bowie's album *Black Tie White Noise*. I think this was really when a lot of people started to hate David Bowie, and I remember buying this album and quite enjoying some of the songs on it. But it is not a great album, to be honest. That kind of definitely marks a point where he's just trying to keep up with current music and just failing completely. He should have just stuck to guitar-based music, whatever he knew, really. So that was a bit embarrassing. That album, I remember. But the album that is quite notable for me is *Suede*, because this to me marks the start of almost the Brit pop era which was where suddenly you'd turn on your radio and instead of having Whitney Houston or whatever on or Madonna you'd have all these guitar bands and I think for me it started when someone said to me one day oh have you heard this song Animal Nitrate by Swade I went I listened to it and I just couldn't believe it was in the charts because that sort of music just didn't really get into the charts but I think that Suede album is a great album and I listened to it again recently and I think it stood the test of time very well and it kind of stands out quite a lot from the rest of the chart as well I believe.
0: I think you're quite right that it was the catalyst for Britpop because a lot of people seem to think that it was Blur and Oasis but that battle didn't even start until, was it 94 it was mm-hmm. after Life had been released I'm sure, so there was plenty of stuff going on before then and Suede were absolutely huge at the time that for me is definitely my pick of the albums that are on there i disagree a little bit on black tie white noise i quite like that album i've got no issue with that and i like the experimental side of voice but the only other album i've heard in full on there would be automatic for the people i'm not sure if i've heard the wedding album but the name doesn't ring a bell but yeah not many albums that i've even heard
3: you've probably heard more than me I've probably heard most of it automatically for the people, but the only album I've definitely heard in full is Get a Grip by Aerosmith, which probably won't surprise you based on what I was just talking about. Something interesting to note about this album I think this was the album I lost my virginity to. Listen! I won't go into the details, because, you know, (laughs) (laughs) that would be... Family show. (laughs) Well, yeah, let's just say I met a girl when this album was just about to come out, and the single that came off this, Living on the Edge, we definitely watched a lot on MTV whilst getting familiar with each other, shall we say. And then it's either this album or the Meatloaf Back Into Hell album. One of those two albums was on when it happened. So I like to think it was Aerosmith, because I don't want to think it was Meatloaf. It's a good album as well, to be fair. It's one of Aerosmith's best. It's got some really good songs on, Living on the Edge particularly, but there's three or four other good songs on there that were all singles, all big MTV hits. It's probably, I would guess, within their top three best-selling most popular albums.
4: Yeah, that one's got Crazy and Cried and stuff on it, hasn't it? Yeah. I prefer Pump, but uh, I didn't lose Virginity to an Aerosmith album, so I can see why it means a lot to you. But uh, yeah, I agree with Graham. Swade was definitely big at the time. Richard Osman off Pointless, his brother was in Swade, which is quite interesting. For me, yeah, there's a few albums here. My favourite album on here Is the Wedding Album Duran Duran This was their renaissance Sort of comeback Gee This is the one where Ordinary World Come Undone Too much information have, And
0: bits like that Ordinary World That's, That's great. possibly my favourite Duran Duran track I didn't realise album Yeah this is the album That was off
5: what is
4: And they sort of came back and did quite well in the charts again this was a lot of acoustic stuff some good tracks on it it's not my favourite Drain album but it's definitely a good comeback at the time for a, quite a different sort of direction they went in and Automatic yeah I like the album
0: played it a lot that Aerosmith album I do like the main tracks off it the others I don't really know about Okay, well, let's whip round and see what everybody scores. I'm scoring just the three for Automatic for the People, Black Tie, White Noise and Suede. Graham?
2: I've got four, Automatic for the People, Black Tie, White Noise, Suede and also 10 Summoner's Tales by Steam.
3: Matt, I think I've got you
2: down as just the one.
3: Yeah, one again for me. Pop Um, music is not my thing.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Simon? Four for me, Automatic, Summoner's Tales, The Wedding Album and Suede.
0: Okay, so the point is shared between Simon and Graham both with four let's move on now to the film chart the films for april 1993 we have groundhog day bill murray directed by ghostbuster harold ramis then we have strictly ballroom baz lerman's first film unforgiven clint eastwood got a best director for that western A few good men stand Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson. Then we have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, Turtles in Time, which was awesome time-traveling fun. The Crying Game was a British-Irish-Japanese thriller. Boyden Point was a huge Wesley Snipes flop. Then we have The Dark Half, a Stephen King film directed by zombie maestro George A. Romero. Benny and June, Johnny Depp, and Mary Stuart Masterton in a mental illness comedy. And the top film of April 1993 was Indecent Proposal.
5: Suppose I were to offer you $1 million for one night with your wife. Paramount Pictures presents the new film from the director of Fatal Attraction. Think about what this money could do for us. How could we do something like that? I doubt for you. Robert Redford. Demi Moore, Woody Harrelson. Another night would come and go, but the money could last a lifetime. Indecent proposal. Robert
0: Redford, Demi Moore and Woody Harrelson, would you accept £1 million for a one-night stand? So that's our first question. Would you?
3: (laughs) What? would you let your other half be shagged by someone else for a million quid? Yes. I think I'd probably be tempted, but I don't think she'd be up for it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm saying no, I wouldn't be
4: tempted. No, me neither. It's not worth it. No, I wouldn't be tempted, and I wouldn't sell <laughs> Jackie for a million pounds either. So, Matt's
1: the only one... selling her, it's just renting her out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, Graham, what's your thoughts on this chart from 1993? Well, I
2: think it's an odd chart. Obviously, Jurassic Park hadn't been released at this point, because that kind of got released and just, like, trod on everything, didn't it? But I had a quick look at the other films that came out in 1993, and it seemed to be quite a decent year, but not at this point, unfortunately. But there's still some great films on there that I really enjoyed. I didn't know The Dark Half was that successful. I didn't go to the cinema to watch it. I watched it on video. That's one of my favourite Stephen King adaptations. It's not an outright horror. It's not a particularly gory film. But it's a really good thriller type Stephen King adaptation, I think, about a writer who has an evil twin. It's not a particularly complicated film and I'm really surprised to see it that high in the charts which I think kind of emphasises the fact it was a bit of a lean time. Other than that, Boiling Point is not a particularly great Wesley Snipes thriller and Indecent Proposal which I remember going to the cinema to see with my girlfriend at the time and not being particularly impressed with it although Demi Moore was obviously quite popular at the time so that was obviously my help make it a big hit. The Crying Game I thought was excellent, really enjoyed that a lot and I managed to watch it without knowing the big plot twist as well at the time which was quite an achievement. But probably my standout on that list is A Few Good Men, which is an excellent military-type thriller featuring a superb term from Jack Nicholson. And it was back in the day when I could still watch Tom Cruise movie and not want to punch his face.
5: <laughs> Did you assault Santiago with the intent of killing him? No, sir. What was your intent? To train him, sir. A Few Good Men is a masterpiece. The first true classic of the 90s. It's a drama of compelling power. This is Tom Cruise at his best, Jack Nicholson gives his finest performance, and Demi Moore has never been better. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! A Few Good Men, a Rob Reiner film.
0: Okay, Simon, what are your
4: thoughts? There's some strong films there. I know of most of them, a few I've never heard of. This sounds absolutely nuts, but I've only ever seen one film on that list, and that's Groundhog Day so I've watched it many times but I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them there's some strong films there I've just never got round to watching them so that's the only film that I really i have watched on that list Same here,
3: believe it or not. I haven't seen any of those films. I might have seen Boiling Point or The Dark Half, but I couldn't hand on heart say I have, so Groundhog Day is actually the only one I've seen as well, which is a great film, although I really hate Andy McDowell. I really wish they'd found someone else to be the female lead in that, because like Graham with Tom Cruise, I just want to punch Andy McDowell in the face. And that's not a nice thing to say about a woman. Columbia Pictures presents I May Be Having a Problem,
5: Bill Murray. I'm reliving the same day over and over in a story about a weatherman who's okay. living life what? like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> Don't drive angry because there isn't. I am an immortal. I have been stabbed, shot, frozen, electrocuted. You're God. I'm a God. I'm not the God.
0: Okay, well, poor showing from you two then. I've seen most of the films on this list. The ones that stand out for me are Benny and June. And remember I thought it was okay at the time. But the standout thing in that film is it's where Johnny Depp kind of did a lot of physical comedy. He was pretending to be Charlie Chaplin and Harold Lloyd. And it was all that silent comedy kind of physical comedy. And it was good at the time. But as Johnny Depp has gone on, I couldn't watch it now. I can't watch him like that anymore. Like Graham said with Tom Cruise, I'd love to punch Johnny Depp in the face. He just really does my head in and I can't really watch him in any film now.
2: Do you remember who directed Benny and June? I don't. It was a chap called Jeremiah Chichik and he did a movie after that which was like an erotic thriller or something like that. And then his next movie after that was in 1998, The Avengers, which was an awful remake, obviously, of the original TV series. And that kind of killed his cinematic directorial career. Didn't he
0: also do National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation?
2: Yes, that was before this. So it kind of peaked, I think, with Benny and June and then went downhill after the Avengers. Christmas Vacation was his peak, to be fair.
4: I'm really sorry, I can't take this film seriously. I just keep thinking it's a re-adaptation of Terry and
0: June. June, <laughs> June! <laughs> a Few Good Men's a great film, but it's a traditionally good film. Turtles in Time was good fun. Who cannot enjoy time travel in the Ninja Turtles? And they went to Samurai Japan. It was brilliant. No, it wasn't really brilliant, but it was fun. And Strictly Ballroom's probably the main one on there that stands out for me. It's Baz Luhrmann's first film, and it was actually a really, really good film. It was a romantic film, and it was a ballroom dancing film. But still, it was a really good, well-told story and showed that Baz Luhrmann's quite a talented writer and director. Um, I think he lost the plot a bit later in his career. Moulin Rouge, for me, was overblown nonsense. But back when he was in Australia doing low-budget films, he was one of the best.
5: He had the world at his feet. Come on, number 100! He had the moves. Flashy, crowd-pleasing steps. He had the magic. I keep asking myself Why? did i fail him as a mother he had the music the you
3: tango please the
5: one thing he needed was a partner stay calm Liz. stay calm
0: So, let's see how many films everybody's seen. I can say that I've seen seven of those films. The ones that I haven't seen are The Dark Half, Boiling Point, and I can't remember if I've seen Unforgiven, so I'm going to say no to that one. Simon and Matt, I know you're both on one, so Graham, how many have you got?
2: I've got seven as well, except the ones I haven't seen are Benny and June, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, and Strictly Borum.
0: Okay, that's a tie between myself and Graham for the movies in 1993. Let's move on quickly to the video game charts, and we're looking at the official Gallup charts sponsored by Penguin from the Super Nintendo, and we've taken these charts from Super Play magazine. At number ten, we've got Super WWF WrestleMania. Nine is Super Pro Protector. Number eight is Super Soccer. 7 is Super Mario World, 6 is Spider-Man and the X-Men, 5 Super Ghouls and Ghosts, 4 is Zelda A Link to the Past, 3 Wings, 2 Bart's Nightmare, and number 1, Super Mario Kart. Now, I'm sure we've all played quite a few of these.
2: No, I haven't. As I've already said, I had a Mega Drive, so none of these games came out on the Mega Drive. When I made the decision, after starting work and having the money to buy a console, I looked at the games on the SNES and saw games like Mario Kart and Super Mario World, and I was a 20-year-old bloke. I didn't want to play games like that. I wanted to play, you know, violent, serious games. So I saw the Mega Drive had games like Desert Strike, Flashback, Robocop versus Terminator, and so on. So I naturally picked that instead. So unfortunately, I haven't played many of these, I'm afraid.
0: To be fair, Graham, I'm in the same boat. I was still a computer user by then. I was probably still playing my Amiga. Actually, no, 93 might have been the year that I got a PC. But I definitely wasn't a console gamer until the PlayStation. So I've actually only played a few of these. Super Mario Kart, everybody in the world, I'm sure, has played that game. And I don't like it. There's been many follow-ups to Super Mario Kart that I do enjoy. But the first one i find
3: it awful to play yeah i'm not a big fan of it either to be honest it seems like an arcade style game where you can just pick up and play it but actually you have to practice a lot and know the courses and the courses are all designed to make you fall down holes and into lakes and stuff so they can get really frustrating so i've got it i don't play it very often i've got a copy so that if i have a party i can put it out and people who like mario kart can play mario kart but i wouldn't really ever play it by choice on my own for example
0: So I'm not a Nintendo fan. Graham certainly wasn't at the time. Simon, are you a Nintendo fan? Have you played many of these? no first nintendo console i got was
4: a gamecube in 2003 so at this point in time i had a mega drive so i was like graham i was just preferred the games on it i didn't really look at the snes once i got into ea hockey and sonic i bought one off my friend in 92 and i just went out and got a mega drive any times i've played any of these snes games is at shows and bits and pieces since but yeah everyone's played super mario cup super mario world i've had a go at that there's a few hours on there but yeah i wasn't a big snes fan i'm still probably not i've only got one late last year just to see it because i was as i say not really into the Nintendo's So Matt, are you going to round
0: us out as a complete Nintendo washout?
3: Well, I like some Nintendo games. I had a NES clone that my dad got from the Far East or somewhere in the sort of probably early 90s. I enjoyed quite a few games there. I played a lot of the original Super Mario Brothers and particularly Super Mario 3. So I was certainly a Mario fan, but I never had a SNES back in the day. I went from 8-bit era straight to PC gaming. The first time I had a SNES was in about 2005 when I got into retro gaming. I have played a few of these games. The Wrestlemania game, I had the Mega Drive version of that. It was pretty run-of-the-mill wrestling game with the big names from that era. Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, Randy Savage, and all those kind of guys. The one that stands out for me, and not necessarily in a good way, is Zelda a Link to the Past. Because people absolutely wet themselves over Zelda games. And I actually got the Game Boy Advance version of Zelda a Link to the Past and played it when I was commuting to and from Manchester. And I just got bored with it. It was just really boring. It was know wander around the map go in a cave get killed by something try again the progression was purely for me trial and error of working out how to kill enemies and basically i just got stuck eventually and just moved on to playing something else that's the only zelda game i've ever played and i found it quite dull the other things that stand out of the list super ghouls and ghosts is absolutely ridiculously hard <laughs> i know ghosts and goblins and ghouls and ghosts are renowned for being difficult but super ghouls and ghosts bought the cartridge maybe had 50 goes of it and couldn't barely even get the screen to scroll before getting killed. It was that difficult. And I'm, you know, not a great gamer but I'm reasonably experienced at those kind of hardcore platform games but it was just so difficult. I'd be so annoyed if I'd paid 40 quid for that and you just can't get anywhere on it. So I'm not a big fan of the SNES in general. I'm more of a Mega Drive fan. And the games that are really big games on the SNES, I'm not that big a fan of either, to be honest. Super Mario World, I just find too big. It's not as fun as the Mario Brothers games.
0: I think for me I'm not a fan of Mario as a character and I'm not a fan of the Mario games I like some games that Mario's in Mario Kart Double Dash on the GameCube I quite like but I just don't understand why people like him as a character (laughs) he's just the worst possible lead for a game that there is I mean you've got Sega with this blue spiky hedgehog in fancy red trainers or you've got a fat plumber with a moustache I just don't get it how that became a character who would lead not only a game franchise but a whole company I have no idea idea so i think the choice of the snes charts was probably not that wise let's just have a look at how many of these we've played now i've played three of the games two of them i don't care for which are super mario kart and super mario world but one game that i do like that i have played is pilot wings and i thought that was quite innovative at the time it's a fun game it's got lots of variety in there so i'm going to
2: score three out of ten I've just got two Super Mario Kart and Super Mario World, neither of which I particularly like, but obviously, as a retro gamer, they're games that you encounter.
4: What about you, Sai? Probably played five of them, I'll say Super Mario Kart, Pilot Wings, Zelda, Super Mario World, and
0: Super Soccer. It's a good score. What about you, Matt?
3: If we're counting the WrestleMania one, no. then it's six. You know, I can't count that because it wasn't on the snares. No. Okay, well it's five then. Mm. Mario Kart, Pilot Wings, Zelda, Ghouls and Ghosts, and Super Mario World. So Matt
0: and Simon take the game round. That means that we have a tie for the winner of our 1993 visit. We've got Graham who took points from the music and film. And we've got Simon, who took points from music and games. So, Graham, what would you like to bring back to the future from 1993?
2: My uh, colleague at work brought in some old photographs the other day from an old work Christmas do, and one of them, obviously, was a picture of me. And it was a pretty embarrassing picture, really. I looked like I'd been dressed by my dad. But one thing that I did have, which I don't have now, which I'd very much like to bring back from this photograph, is that I have an amazing head of hair. So, from 1993, I'd like to bring back my hair. <laughs>
0: (laughs) Brilliant. Simon, what do you want to bring? Well, I'm going
4: to go geeky again. There's a few bits came out in '93. Beanie Babies, Pepsi Max apparently was invented. So I could go for Pepsi Max and bring back that to have with the chicken nuggets. <laughs> but I'm going to go for something that I don't know anything about, but I've heard people talk about it. And it's always interested me, and that's the FM Towns Marty McFly. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, he's only called the FM Towns Marty. So I'd like to try that. I don't know anything about it. See, Toy Jagger apparently came
0: out in '93 as well, but I'm not going for that.
2: Especially best the
0: Okay, let's all get our seatbelts back on and let's push on to our next voyage in 2003. Right then, into the new millennium and we're in the midst of Tony Blair's new labour, now 30, my past self is a right banker, working for the bank that gives you extra. In the news, on the 6th of April, British forces capture the city of Basra during the invasion of Iraq and three days later, the war effort is given a massive boost when a huge statue of Saddam Hussein is toppled in Baghdad and it's confirmed that Hussein's rule has ended after 24 years in power. And after winning the maximum prize in 2001, the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire contestant Charles Ingram and his wife Diana are convicted of procuring the execution of a valuable security by deception. The Ingrams and a third party are each given an 18-month suspended sentence and fined £15,000. In TV, Sky One shows the 300th episode of The Simpsons and former Spandau Ballet singer Tony Hadley wins the ITV1 pop star comeback show Reborn in the USA. The series began with has-beens like Sonia, Gina G, Dollar and Go West front man Peter Cox, but Hadley won the UK public vote against ex-extender Michelle Gale. In sport, as part of the Premier League's 10th anniversary celebrations, Alan Shearer receives the Premier League Player of the Decade award at a PFA ceremony and Leeds United, who began the season amongst the teams expected to challenge for the title, are now battling relegation as well as spiralling debts. 2003, was that a good year? Yeah, not a
4: bad year. I, mean, I was a civil servant by then. Alex, my son, was a little toddler at the time, so most of my time was just spent with him, really. We went to Devon with a group of friends. A group of us just rented a cottage down there. It was quite good for that year. And yeah, it was not a bad year at all.
2: I had proposed to my girlfriend in 2003, and we were busy making wedding plans, no doubt. She was, and I was agreeing with them. And then we got married the next year. So that probably dominated a lot of this year for me. I was at the same job as I still am now. I was playing cricket still, I think, at that time, quite into my cricket and badminton fitness and that at the time. Musically, it wasn't a great era for me because I remember this was the time when the reality TV shows had started to take over. My wife, ex wife now, was quite into all that. So I was watching a lot of mind numbing TV, I'm sure, at the time. Saturday night would be things like who wants to be a millionaire followed by x Factor or some other crap. So yeah, it wasn't a great time for me artistically, but I suppose it was quite exciting in terms of having my own place with my fiance and making plans for a new life.
0: You're right about the reality TV taking over. That was around the time when Big Brother started, wasn't it? And I remember spending far too much of my life sitting in a room while that was on because my ex-wife was a big fan. So yeah, it was kind of, a I think, a low point in culture.
3: Well, it all suddenly got very grown up, didn't it? <laughs> and to be honest, my story's not too much different. I had met my now wife, Anna, the year before in 2002. And I was just looking back through my photos that I've got stored on my PC. And in March 2003, we went to Barcelona for a long weekend. And in July 2003, we went to Norway. And in August 2003, we went to Blackpool. So some great holidays that year. <laughs> The Barcelona trip was interesting. We went to watch the football at, to the new camp and the game finished 1 1 with both goals being own goals. I think that's fairly unusual.
0: Interesting, yeah, definitely unusual. Okay, as we said in the last show, being old miserable gits, the charts start to get less interesting to us. So let's see if it follows on with the April 2003 chart. At number 10, you have got Cry from Kim Marsh. Number 9 is Movie Feet by Junior Senior. Knockout from Triple Eight is at 8. Seven Nation Army from the White Stripes is at seven. X gonna give it to you by DMX is at six. Number five was Into Club by Fifty Cent. Number four was Make Love by Room Five featuring Oliver Cheatham. Don't let it go by David Sneddon at number three. All Over from Lisa Mafia was at number two, and the number one song was You Said No by Busted. Who wants to kick us off with that chart?
3: Yeah, I
4: don't know any of it apart from Move Your Feet and Seven Nation Army. And out of those two, I like both the tracks, but I'm going to go for Move Your Feet because I love the video with the retro in television type guys and all the sort of retro '80s pixelated stuff on it. And I like the track anyway. Good choice.
2: I'm rather ashamed that I remember David Sneddon. I couldn't remember the music, fortunately. But he gets back to winner i don't think he won anything i think he came second or third and he was like a little young lad wasn't he and i remember he had the traditional type of career some of them went on to do better didn't they from these shows but he had the traditional career where he released an album and then just crashed and burned and was never heard of again presumably he was performing on cruises and things like that after that but for me really a bit like si i've not even heard of Movie feet by junior senior but seven nation army by the white stripes I don't particularly like that track. It's from their album Elephant, which we'll come on to shortly, I think. But, you know, it's just the one sort of, it's completely reversal, I think, of the single charts about 10 years earlier, where the guitar music has been completely pushed out and it's now been dominated by rap and reality TV, mainstream pop type music.
4: I've just checked online, David Sneddon, he actually won the first
0: series of BBC's Fame Academy. That's it. Yeah, Fame Academy was. Yeah, you know, what? I preferred Fame Academy. I thought that was quite good. They all lived in the same house and had singing lessons and all of this. I thought that was a much better premise than the immediate stardom kind of thing. That is this
2: still your depressed phase? Possibly.
0: <laughs> my depressed stage probably lasted from '89 until 2005. So yeah, probably. <laughs> in terms of my view of this chart, there's so many songs I don't know. Obviously, I've heard Fiddy Sen and DMX and The White Stripes and junior senior but the other songs whilst I know some of the artists I have no idea what those songs are Kim Marsh, was she on the telly?
2: She was another reality star. I think she was in... Uh... Oh, she, she Hearsay? Yes. She's not the one that's
0: on Coronation Street now, is she? She might be, yeah. Yeah, she is, actually, yeah. For me, I'm going with Simon with the best track on there is Movie Feet. It's a brilliant little dance song. I love that start bit, the do, 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 and then it kicks in. I really like that song. No idea who Junior Senior are or if they've ever had another song.
4: They're Scandinavian rappers. They're from Sweden or Denmark, something like that. Couple of quite strange chaps. One's a thin little guy, looks about 14. The other guy's a massive big guy with
0: a (laughs) moustache. Matt, this chart looks like it's got you written all over it.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well... No. (laughs) I think I've heard of most of the people on it. I don't think I've heard anything by most of the people on it. The only one that stands out for me is Seven Nation Army, which I think I knew the song a long time before I knew who it was by. I probably only knew it was by the White Stripes maybe like five or six years ago. So it went a good almost 10 years before I knew who the song was by, mainly because you just heard people singing it at football matches and stuff more than anything else. But I think it's a pretty good tune. It's got a good riff, you know.
2: I can't remember too clearly 15 years ago, but was there a trend? Because I notice in this that there's loads of new entries. Did something happen to the charts around here or something? Because in the old days, singles would like work their way up the charts and be on there for a long time. And if you look at the other charts, that's the yeah. case. But in this chart, we've got six new six entries. Yeah, that's a good point
3: digital music maybe. maybe i don't know if possibly a little bit early for that it
0: probably is this chart but the itunes store launched in the summer of 2003 so we were getting to the point where digital music was starting to take over but that won't have impacted this interesting
3: maybe just everything that was released the week before was complete shit <laughs> <laughs> and it was replaced ironically by complete shit by more And the following week was probably mostly replaced by complete shit. And (laughs) so it's gone on for the next 15 years. (laughs)
0: The start of your depressed phase, was
1: it?
3: (laughs) Oh, no, the start of my depressed phase with the music charts was about 1991, I think.
0: (laughs) OK, well, let's move on to the album charts and see if we can play any better. At 10, we've got Home by Simply Red. Nine, we've got to get through this by Daniel Beddingfield. Nora Jones would come away with me at eight. Let Go by Avril Lavigne at number seven. Cold played a rush of blood to the head at six. But five was Busted with Busted. Couldn't have said it better by Meatloaf. It was a new entry at four. Number three, Elephant from the White Stripes. Two was Justified from Justin Timberlake. And number one was American Life by Madonna. Now, that chart for me, again, lots of bands that I've heard, very little that I've actually heard the albums of. I've heard Nora Jones come away with me. It's a very wishy-washy, girly album that most wives owned. But other than that, really, all I've heard out of there is A Rush of Blood to the Head by Coldplay, and I hated it.
2: It's really not a chart for me. I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head why I have heard so much from this chart. In that, my wife to be liked a lot of stuff on this. She just liked middle of the road, wishy washy crap. She was a big fan of Daniel Bedingfield, so I've got to get through this. Yeah. Probably not a terrible album. That Nora Jones album, you know, the number of times we sat down to dinner on a Friday night and that would be on. And I used to irritate her by calling her Nora Bones instead of Nora Jones. That was my way of getting some entertainment out of that. And Justin Timberlake justified as well. She really liked that album as well. So those three albums, I couldn't tell you anything about them, but I remember listening to them a lot. And Elephant by White Stripes, White Blood Cells, which is the preceding album, is one of my favourite albums from that era. I didn't particularly get on with Elephant. It had a couple of good tracks. There's a track on it called Hypnotise, which is really good. But I thought that the great thing about the White Stripes, was, especially their first album, was that it had kind of a raw, unproduced feel to it. And then they brought out Elephant after they'd obviously become quite popular and all of a sudden it was a lot more just like basically every other guitar album out there. So I didn't enjoy that quite so much but that's probably the best album out of that chart. Just a little story about the Busted album. A few years ago I used to work in a charity shop and it was back in the day when CDs were still quite a big thing and they were still selling. And we used to have a joke about which album was donated the most. And without a doubt, it was the Busted album. We used to get fucking hundreds of copies of this album come into the charity shop. And, of course, they would never sell. I think it was Busted and Spice World were the two albums. But there was always loads more Busted. So it was just like you got fed up of seeing this album all the time. But I never actually listened to it.
3: I've listened to Busted. I actually bought Busted for my now wife, my girlfriend then, for our first Christmas together. And she guessed what it was before she opened it. She goes, oh, I bet this is Busted. It's like, well, you're ruining our first Christmas together, aren't you? <laughs> so I've heard that quite a few times, although she would never listen to it now. And Let it Go by Avril Lavigne, I've heard that a few times as well. She's got that as well. Busted, an interesting fact about them is one of the guys left Busted and formed a metal band, not really super heavy metal band, but like an emo core band or something you might call them, that's actually quite good. I've got at least one album by, and it's not bad. And the band's called Fight Star.
4: Oh, I've heard of them, Matt. They've done a couple of good tracks, actually, yeah.
3: Yeah, so it turned out the guy from Busted wasn't happy with doing chart-friendly pop punk and went off and did some proper rock instead. He followed his dream rather than, you know, the cash. So good on him for that. Very good.
0: Simon, how do you feel about this chart?
4: Obviously, Avril Lavigne, everyone remembers Skater Boy. That's on that album, but I couldn't tell you any other things she's done ever. The only thing for me on there is White Stripes and Coldplay. don't like the Coldplay album well, I like that one The Scientist and Clocks I actually quite like that piano led kind of thing they've done then a bit different to what they've done earlier and yeah I've got Elephant as well The Hardest Button to Button is the only other big song on it to be honest there's a reasonable really sort of good tracks on it they're a bit weird in places but it's not bad and the rest of them I have no idea what they're like obviously I've heard of Madonna and Justin Timberlake but I couldn't tell you anything about any of those songs on any of those albums simply around I can't believe they've even still got an album going in 2003 so
0: I'm actually quite shocked to see that on there So let's just look at our scores then. I'm just scoring the two for Rush of Blood to the Head and Nora Jones' album.
3: Two for me as well, Busted and Avril Lavigne.
0: Simon? Two, Coldplay and White Stripes. Graham, you've got to beat two, surely.
2: Does it count if I have to listen to them under duress? (laughs) If you've heard them, you've heard them. Shit, okay. Well, in that case, I've heard the Daniel Bedingfield album, the Nora Bones album, the Coldplay one, the White Stripes, obviously, and Justified by Justin Timberlake, which gives me five.
0: That means Graham takes the music round. <laughs> Let's move on to the film round then. And now, in the 2000s, we're on to the UK charts. So none of these American films we've never heard of. We should all have heard of every film in this chart. At number 10, we've got The Pianist. Roman Polanski's biography of Polish pianist Ladislaw Stillman. I'm sure everybody knows who he is. Just Married, which was an Ashton Kutcher comedy. Shanghai Knights, Jackie Chan and Owen Wilson's sequel to Shanghai Noon. Nu. Number seven was S Club Seven's S Club C in Double. Number six was The Recruit, Colin Farrell and Al Pacino in a CIA thriller. Bulletproof Monk was at number five, starring Chow Yun Fat in an action comedy. At number four was The Jungle Book 2, an inferior rehash of the original Jungle Book film. Number three, How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days, starring Matthew McConaughey and Goldie Hawn's daughter. Number two was Phone Booth, an almost single-location thriller starring Colin Farrell. And number one was Rowan Atkinson's Spice Booth, Johnny English.
5: Johnny English is daring. Johnny English is dashing. Agent One, you
3: overestimate your power over women.
5: I'd say that would be virtually impossible. Johnny English is dreaming. Now tell me you've heard
0: all of those films.
3: You can tell it's a British chart when it's got S-Club seeing double and Johnny English is number one, because I'm pretty sure neither of them would have done much business in the States. (laughs) You'd think not. There's a few good films on there, to be fair. Don't think Shanghai Nights was anywhere near as good as Shanghai Noon, because the concept of it being a Western in the first film worked really well, and they were just in London, I think, in the second one, weren't they? So it was a bit of a lacklustre sequel. The recruit I seem to recall was pretty decent. Bulletproof monk was alright as well. Phone booth's probably the best one on there. If you hang up I will kill you. Hanging up? I don't think so. <laughs>
5: Colin what do you keep talking to on the phone? If you tell him, I will kill him. Tell him what you want. Don't you get the game yet?
3: Booth, nice short film, about 80 minutes long, quite tense. And it had, I think it was an uncredited voice performance from Kiefer Sutherland as the guy on the phone. He did, yeah. It was a sniper, I think, wasn't he, or something mm-hmm. like that? Yep. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember it being pretty decent. So I don't think that's a bad chart other than the S Club movie and How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. <coughs>
0: i'll agree and disagree there i think it's a reasonable chart obviously discounting s club seven but i'd also discount johnny english from that i actually enjoy how to lose a guy in 10 days what are you
5: working on now
2: how to lose a guy in 10 days
5: i could start by dating a guy and then drive him away doing everything girls do wrong in relationships i can sell myself to any woman i'd like to see you prove that you would make a woman fall in love with you you're on so who's the lucky girl Her. Her
2: who? Her in the gray dress.
5: Hi, I'm Benjamin Barry.
2: Andy
5: Anderson. Oh, you are already falling in love with me.
2: I'm going to
0: make you wish you were dead. You know, in my past life, when I had a partner who would only watch rom-coms, I've seen that multiple times, and it's a fun little film. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not something I'd choose to watch now myself, but, you know, if somebody was watching it, I wouldn't force them to turn it over. The worst films on there are definitely S-Club and Johnny English. I haven't seen Jungle Book 2, but I'm not sure why anybody would want to. Bulletproof Monk I really enjoyed. I'm not sure Chow Yun-fat is actually the lead man that he was hoping to be. But that was a decent film. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed Shanghai Nights. And Foam Booth was excellent. What annoys me about Foam Booth is that it was one location for the whole film. And then they had that end bit where it's not. And it annoyed me. Why not just keep that one location thing? Let's follow through with your theme. And they didn't. So I'd say The Recruit is probably the best film out of that list. But yeah, it's
2: quite a good chart rather surprisingly because I was really into my movies in 2003 I had a DVD player and I was importing and buying loads of DVDs and this chart really shocked me because I've only seen two films on it although my ex was into rom-coms as well so I find it a little bit hard to believe that I haven't seen How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days but I don't really remember it a lot of those type of films they're just all merge into one to me and I may have seen The Recruit but again I don't remember particularly seeing it so obviously no desire whatsoever to watch S Club seeing Double Just Married That just sounds like another rom-com, presumably, isn't it? Yeah. I've seen Shanghai Noon, but not the sequel, Shanghai Nights. So not a great list for me, that one, unfortunately. Johnny English isn't too bad. My kids seem to like it, but probably Phone Booth is the pick for me.
4: Only ever seen Johnny English out of the whole of that lot. There's about three of them I've never heard of, and S Club. But I'd rather literally French kiss a skunk from behind than to sit through that. So only Johnny English for me. I don't think it's as bad as all that. I don't mind Brian accents silly comedy. It doesn't bother me. I quite like him. Johnny English to me is just like the same character he played in the Barclay Card adverts, just on a, what a longer film. Yeah, but I think the Barclay Card
0: adverts were too long. So watching the full <laughs> 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I
3: mean, the thing with Johnny English is you could accept the making it once but to do i think they've done two sequels to it haven't they that isn't the third one coming out this year the third
0: one is in production
3: yeah i mean come on (laughs) it it might have been funny once even twice as a stretch although it should be noted that our good friend pete worked on the special effects for johnny english too
0: Hmm. that's true yeah that's the film charts then so in terms of how many everybody's watched we already know that simon has seen one and graham's seen two what about you matt
3: I have seen six, but I also do own How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days on DVD. When I say it's me, it's not really mine, is it? It's Anna's, but I think that counts.
0: Now, I'm getting quite annoyed now because I thought I was going to at least take the point for this one, but I've only seen five of those films.
3: Oh, my God. (laughs) Um,
1: Did I win one? (laughs) You
0: you have won one. I haven't seen Johnny English all the way through. I've not seen Jungle Book 2 or S Club or Just Married or The Pianist, so that means Matt takes the point for the movie round. (laughs) Our final chart, then, for this show is the games chart. And now we're in 2003. We've got a multi-format chart. And at number 10, we've got a game called Viet Cong that I've never heard of by Illusion Softworks. Number 9 was Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon. At 8, The Getaway. 7 was Grand Theft Auto by City. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets at 6. FIFA 2003 at 5. Primal was at 4. Championship Manager 4 at 3 number two was the sims and number one for april 2003 was tom clancy's
5: splinter cell you alone have the fifth freedom the right to spy steal and destroy to ensure that american freedoms are protected you are no longer agent sam fisher you are a splinter cell
3: now redefined to put your playstation 2 to the limits.
0: Who who's our biggest gamer in 2003 it wasn't me
3: it wasn't me either i was a big
2: gamer but none of these <laughs> I've played quite a few of them yeah, I was going to say fun. It's going to be so
0: Tell us what you think About this chart
4: Yeah I'm like you Viet Cong. Never heard of it I Don't know that one at all Funny enough Ghost Vicon Was quite fun Sort of squad base Control guys And just go in And do missions To try and extract people And take down bad guys the getaway was Sony's big game, and it just didn't really work. It was, you know, a texture maps, really realistic view of London, which it wasn't bad, to be honest. The best thing about it was actually driving around, but you had to do all the bloody missions before you got to free roam, so it was a bit annoying. But it was quite nice. They had, like, Voxelastra's and all the proper police cars and stuff in it at the time. It was just awkward to play. Driving wasn't too bad, but when you got out of the car, the aiming was not there, and it was just was a missed opportunity. They did a game after it called Black Monday, which was a follow-up. Again, it's London. It's great to see things you recognise but it just didn't do what it was supposed to do. Stand that game, for me, on that list, obviously, is going to be Grand Theft Auto Vice City. It's the only one I've ever completed, and I still love it to this day. I'll still dig it out in case you ever drive around.
5: Hey, lady! You know what I'm going to do? Something like this. Uh, 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 uh. Vice City is 24-karat gold these days. We send someone down to cut ourselves a nice slice.
2: Tommy,
1: buenas noches.
2: You are not in liberty now. Yes.
5: We do things differently. We need to watch each other's back.
4: That's the one I've really enjoyed. Like the 80s vibe to it. And the crazy guy running the nightclub called Kent Paul English bloke. Some of his lines are absolutely hilarious. The kind of humor what I love about it is you've got an ice cream van, Cherry Popper's Ice Cream. And if you fly over it in a helicopter, look down, it's got two massive blobs on the top with cherries. And it looks like just a pair of breasts, of course. But the funny thing for me is when it starts getting dark and some of the tall office buildings or apartment blocks, the lights come on. But sometimes you look at the lights and they've come on in a certain way and it's a giant cock. Just little things like that, really. never <laughs> noticed that. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> I've played a few Championship Managers. I can't remember if i played for. I think I was still playing some of the older PC versions at that time. I'm not sure. Sims is obviously a massive. It's not a game I've ever really played. And Splinter Cell, yeah, i got quite a lot of Splinter Cell games. in this sort of stealth, a bit like Metal Gear Solid in places. Stealth
0: and action, sort of a mixture of different missions. So, yeah, some reasonably good games there. The getaway was quite interesting because they were trying to make this photorealistic London. And I remember seeing screenshots in magazines all the time, and they were showing shop fronts, and they were the real shop fronts, and they'd show a photograph next to a screenshot and stuff. And it looked like it was going to be amazing, you know, really violent and really adult. It was going to be this groundbreaking game, and it turned out not to be. And it was funny that the game that that really wanted to be, I think, was a game that Sony released for the PlayStation VR, and that was London Heist, and it was this violent adult proper gangster almost a film that you're taking part in and it's the one piece of VR that really does get you completely caught up in the immersion and what is it 15 years it's taken them to get to the point of the game that I think they were really trying to build when they created the getaway it's such a shame the getaway didn't work but maybe the PS2 wasn't quite ready for something like that and we needed 15 years of technological advancements before we could move on to it
4: yeah i think if rockstar got a hold of it and did grand theft auto london it probably would have worked a lot better to be honest because they just seem to be able to yeah. do those games i know you had the london version of the older one on the ps1 the top down version but yeah that would have worked but yeah it just didn't work out it's sad
0: really because i really was looking forward to it i've never tried that london high i have not the vr yet so i'm gonna have a look at that it's fantastic it's short but it's fantastic but what you just said there about gta london There's talk that Grand Theft Auto 6 is going to be returning to Vice City, but GTA 7 should be 60s London and do that in the new engine. That'd be fantastic. Michael Caine doing a voiceover and stuff like that. It'd be fantastic.
3: Or 70s London, and it's all like the Sweeney. Yeah,
0: I'd love to see a GTA
3: set in London. Wouldn't it be Um, great?
0: Sort of uh, late seventies one, and you can actually go around and park a day in his car lot and stuff. It'd be brilliant. It'd be fantastic. I mean, the other games that stand out for me on there, obviously Vice City, but to be honest, I didn't play that much of it. But I loved the eighties setting, so that's always been a (laughs) favourite. The Sims I spent a lot of time
5: on. Lovable, unpredictable, programmable—it's The Sims. (laughs) Hey there, Sport. What's all the racket? It's fusion, Daddy. The key to a cleaner burning fuel resides in this... (coughs) You're a moron. You know that, right? When you create the characters and design the surroundings, anything's a possibility. (laughs) The Sims. It's a new game every day. Bring it team for team
0: but then just one day I had the realisation what am I doing? Nothing's happening, it's not even a game. Champ Manager 4 was the last kind of football management game I really played. I couldn't get into them beyond that because I think they all started to get a little bit too tactical and difficult but Champ Manager 4 I remember getting I think I bought my dad a copy as well because he just got a computer and was playing the odd thing. I don't think he ever loaded it but I think I got it in for Father's Day that year I definitely played FIFA 2003 but I can't remember because all them versions bleed into themselves don't they but Vice City was just so wonderfully presented it was a brilliant
3: game yeah I'm with you there I played Vice City for exactly 50 hours because I realized at the 50 hours mark I need to stop playing this stop searching for hidden packages and all those kind of things but yeah the whole thing was it was just Miami Vice basically wasn't it crossed with Scarface but it was done so well and it was so vast and clever and funny and yeah just a brilliant game Still the best one, I think. And I love GTA 5, but that was almost too big. Vice City just had everything just about right, and the 80s setting. And the soundtrack was brilliant as well on all the radio stations. I've actually got the six CD box set of the Vice City soundtrack, which is brilliant if you want just some 80s tunes on.
2: I think I have really missed out on this chart because Grand Theft Auto, I played the original game, the top down one on the PlayStation, and I dabbled with GTA 3 on the PC. I think that was a really rough version of the ones that followed. I don't know if any of you guys have played GTA 3, but it was the big jump from 2D into 3D, and I couldn't quite get into that. And as a result, I never played Vice City or any of the other ones after it. But it sounds like really good fun. But I think if I went back to play it now, it just wouldn't look great, and I'd probably be better off playing something else, I should imagine. But I haven't actually played any of the games on this chart, which was astonishing, really. I had a PC at the time, but the games I were playing were probably Command & Conquer Generals, the Jedi Knight games, maybe warcraft 3 although some of these games came out on pc obviously championship manager 4 the sims and i guess splinter cell did i didn't have an xbox or a ps2 so i wouldn't have paid any of the console games so yeah not a great chart for me in terms of games although a few of them i've obviously missed out
4: I did play GTA 3, but it's like you say, Graham, it was a big step and it was a bit rough in some of the graphics and stuff. But it was an amazing comparison. Going to this 3D world, there's so many things to find and doing it. But yeah, you should have stuck in with Vice City, I think you would have liked it. But as you say, go back to it now, you probably just think, oh yeah, whatever. I this
3: don't is, know, I think I still a like good it. game, even a 3D game that's a bit rough around the edges, a good game once you get engrossed into it is still a good game. I think I could happily go back and play Vice City again.
0: Yeah, I think the theming is so well done in it that I'm the same I think I could, and I didn't play 50 hours. I probably gave it half of that and probably got only a quarter of distance that you got into the game. But I'd happily go back and play it because I think it was a great game before they put that 80s theming in and then it took it to a new level. So let's have a look at how many games everybody's played. Graham's already told us he's a big fat zero. I've got a score of five on this chart with The Sims, Champ Manager 4, FIFA, Grand Theft Auto by City and The Getaway. It's
3: three for me, GTA, FIFA 2003 and The Sims.
4: Simon, I'm expecting another big score from you. Seven for me. I've played Championship Manager before. I've just looked online at the cover of the box and, yeah, I've got that PC somewhere knocking about at the time.
3: That was the point where they split between Sports Interactive and IDOS. Yeah, that's right. And IDOS kept the name, but Sports Interactive kept the good game and they renamed it Football Manager. I went the Football Manager direction rather than the Championship Manager direction.
4: Yeah, and I've played obviously FIFA, Grand Theft Auto, Getaway, Ghost Recon
0: Interestingly, the game that none of us have played, Viet Cong, was actually hugely popular and well-reviewed It was the 8th best game of 2003 according to Computer Games Magazine And some even called it the best first-person shooter ever at the time So, Simon, you're the first-person shooter fan out of us, I think So maybe you should go back and give that one a go Yeah, perhaps I should but with a score of seven, Simon takes the games round and also takes 2003. Yay! So, Simon, what item would you like to take back this time with your Chicken McNuggets
4: and... My FM Towns Marty. That's the one. And Graham's hair. I don't know a bit of that. It's <laughs> not fair. Well, there was a few bits and pieces that came out in that year. The Game Boy Advance SP came out and things like that. But I'm going to go for Again, it, it didn't do very well, but it's quite an interesting little thing to me. I've never really had a chance to try them one out. I know they were probably actually quite dreadful, to be honest. But as an interesting device. I'm going to go for the Nokia N-Gage. It was a big phone. It played some games on it. But I've never really tried one. And thought, well, ah, you know, it's a bit of a rarity. So why
0: not come back with something like that? And didn't you take something back in the last show that was quite similar? The Gizmondo? Oh, yeah. So you're building yourself a nice collection of tech from your top. shite
5: tech. Yeah.
2: Why not? I remember seeing an Engage in a special reserve shop. They had a big stand for it and they're making a big fuss of it. And I think, was it Tomb Raider came out on it? Yep, it did. Yeah. And it actually looked reasonable considering the platform at the time.
0: If you go back and check out our Tomb Raider episode of the Movie Muse podcast from a few months ago, I discussed Tomb Raider on the Engage, which is actually quite a decent game. So that means that with a score of two and a half out of three, Simon is our time traveller of the show. But we've run out of time. Let's get ourselves back in the time machine, back to 2018. Now we're back home, let's just have a quick rating of our trips back in time and see when was this episode's top of the past. So we're going to start with April 1983, and I just want a score out of five from each of you. Graham?
2: I would give it four out of five. Simon? I'd go four out of five as well.
0: I'm also going to give April 1983 four out of five. I thought it was an excellent time in my life. So Matt, just need yours.
3: Well, it's not really a time I remember being (laughs) a little bit too young. So based purely on the music, films and games, I would probably go with three.
0: Which gives us an average score for April 1983 of 3.75. Moving on to April 1993, I'm not sure we'll get quite as high scores, but let's start with you then, Matt.
3: Okay. well, musically, it's not great. Films, not great games, not bad, but well, there was quite a significant event in 1993 that I referred to earlier, so I'll go with three <laughs> out of five again. So
0: Matt's giving it three out of five because he got laid.
3: <laughs>
1: good <laughs> reason,
4: isn't he? Simon, what's your score? Two out of five from each. Certain circumstances and things that happened at that point in time, I don't look back with a lot of fondness. Right. Well, I'm going to go with
0: three out of five. I thought the films were quite good. The music was relatively average, but it was an okay time in my life. I hadn't got the ball and chain by then, so I was living the life of freedom. Quite enjoyed April 1993, so yeah, 3 out of 5 for me. Graham?
2: I'm going to score it exactly the same score for exactly the same reasons as you, Gordon. I think the, uh, the films really save it a little bit, but yeah, 3 out of 5 for me as well. Which
0: gives April ninety three, two 2.75. So now let's move forward another 10 years, and we'll start with you, Graham, April 2003.
2: Yeah, a bit of a different story here. I suppose at the time it wasn't too bad, but looking back, not a great time for me for several reasons. And certainly artistically, what I was listening to was not great either, and what I was watching on TV. And the movies, not a particularly good part of the year either, this one. But I suppose in general, it wasn't a terrible time of my life, but I would still only score it two and a half out of five. Okay, Matt.
3: Vice City alone gives it at least a point. I think the movies were pretty decent, generally, and the music was terrible. But 2003 was a good year for me, generally, so I'm going to go three and a half.
0: Okay. I think Personal Life was not great at the time, but I think the films were pretty good. I think there were a lot of good games, maybe not in the chart that we just looked at, but there was a lot of good games out around that time. The music was pretty poor if you would listen to chart music, but there was plenty of decent music out there that maybe didn't get in the charts. So I'm going to give it three out of five. That just leaves you, Simon, as our time traveller of the show, to round us out with your score. It wasn't too bad for me at the time. I got my little boy, was only two, it was a good
4: fun time with him. I've got a PS2 and I've got an Xbox at that point. And there were, as you say, not just the games in that chart, There's some cracking games that did actually come out at that point when they started to go grips with the new systems. So yeah, some of the games were excellent. Uh, not so much movies there that I know about. But the music, yeah, whatever. So it wasn't
0: a bad time, so I'll give it a solid three out of five which gives us an average score for April 2003 of three out of five, which means that top of the past for this show is April 1983. And not only top of the past for this show, it's the top of our top of the past leaderboard. So the top of the top of the past is April 1983. So that's it for top of the past. We'll see you in the future. No, we won't. We'll see you in the past.